I've got to thinking in the age of Trump how race and politics have become such a hot button topic within the public consciousness. And I wanted to take this episode to talk more in depth, uh, to give my thoughts and my opinions on um, where race and politics are in 2018. And if identity politics or you know the way people describe identity politics if it has any place within the the greater um mainstream ideal pol- political ideals um it really got my mind thinking a lot about it uh in the wake of the um the primary contest uh you know uh, recently Florida just had their uh, primaries uh, for governor, and this was about a week ago, uh, roughly a week, week and a half ago, where uh, you had Ron DeSantis, a uh, Republican, uh, he won his side, a GOP um, congressman who was trying to run for uh, governor of Florida, and versus uh, Andrew Gillum. Uh, former mayor of Tallahassee, and he, uh, you know, won the Democratic uh, nomination. And it was, you know, certainly, uh, you know, just on a, on a sidebar, on a side note, uh, it, it is a, a very interesting, um, you know, philosophy. It's definitely a, 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 a philosophical, um, a lot more, quote unquote, important as far as uh, on the national stage and, and what these ramifications can mean in the 2020 election, certainly this election, uh, you know, coming up between a Republican, a, um, you know, a Trump styled Republican, Ron DeSantis. Uh, I thought it was a joke. <laughs> I saw a meme. Um, I guess it was around the time that it was official and he had won the, uh, the, the primary of he, I guess he had filmed a, a commercial. One of his ads was uh, he was in a classroom with uh, a little white boy. You know, kid had to have been maybe about three or four years old. And he's, you know, building like, you know, he has these toy blocks and he's, he's building, uh, building the blocks up as if like, and the kid is helping him put the blocks up as if he's building a wall. <laughs> so, you know, that right there tells you everything you need to know that, you know, he's pretty much in line uh, with Trump's, um, you know, he's uh, Trump's uh, style of republicanism, right? So you have a, uh, you know, uh, uh, somebody like him who is a, a Trump style, you know, I guess you can call him a right wing uh, populist versus Andrew Gillum who is, you know, who has advocated, although, you know, it's later come to light that he supported Hillary Clinton in the primaries, that he is basically pushing for all of the, um, you know, he's running on Bernie Sanders' platform to the point where Bernie Sanders supposedly, uh, you know, endorsed him as a candidate because, you know, he's basically running on a platform, a Medicare for All platform, uh, a, 
you know, a, uh, uh, you know, let, let's fund public education. Um, let's, let's, fu let's fund um, public uh, programs. Let's get big money out of politics. He's, he's essentially running on that platform. And it, I think it's an interesting microcosm in whoever wins. And of course, it's a little sliver, sliver of, a, of the pie. And it really, there are many different factors. And I read somewhere that supposedly, you know, um, um, Gillum is, is under, I don't know if he's under FBI investigation or, you know, the people surrounding him are under FBI investigation from when he was a mayor at, in um, Tallahassee and, you know, some sort of corruption um, charges and uh, supposedly he's not under in investigation, but DeSantis, of course, is saying that he is under investigation. So, uh, you know, I'm not even going to touch that until the, the dust settles. But, you know, going through all of that, on you know, I'll leave that on a side note, on a sidebar, and maybe talk about this in another another uh, episode it it the aftermath of it afterwards you know when the the candidates were uh you know picked on both sides it was clear who won on both sides and okay this is going to be the race DeSantis was giving an interview uh, I believe it was uh for Fox News and he essentially uh, made a comment about how uh, Gillum is uh, ill-equipped. He's not equipped to run the, the, the state of, of uh, Florida. Uh, look how he drove Tallahassee into the, into the ground. And again, I can't, I can't deny or confirm one way or the other. I would be more inclined to not agree, uh, or excuse me, to not believe that, you know, but I don't live in Florida, so I don't know what, you know, what that means, what metrics he's using. And okay, so, you know, that's pretty standard, uh, you know, po politics on both sides. Um, so, okay, yeah, whatever, you know, he's bashing his opponent. He's trying to juxtapose it by making himself look good. Okay. Then it later comes, you know, as the, the conversation is progressing and he's talking, you know, I guess to the voters of Florida and he makes a comment about, you know, not, you know, the voters not monkeying this, this up, right? Not monkeying this up, you know, by voting for this man. You, you know, you should not monkey, don't monkey this up or something to that effect, right? And after these comments, it was, you know, of course, a divide. Um, you know, I guess I'm a little bit surprised knowing America and, and knowing the, the history of America when it comes to race and calling things out. <clears throat> I'm surprised, you know, even some of, you know, uh, right-wing people or right-leaning people that I've seen, they're like, ooh, you know, like that's not, you know, that's not good. You know, like it's, it, it's not, you know, it's, that's not something that we can sort of justify you know, or like rationalize or, oh, he was taken out of context. It was pretty much what he said. This is what he said verbatim, right? So, but, you know, of course you had some people that were, um, you know, 
oh, this is crazy. And again, with the, with the identity politics and again, with the social justice warriors and again, with the, you know, playing language police and he didn't mean it like that. And that's a, that's a phrase. And, and, you know, uh, I can prove it and pulling up like supposed, uh, you know, um, you know, uh, dictionary, uh, passages of, of, you know, people using, uh, terms as far as, you know, you don't make a monkey out of me or don't do this or don't do that or monkeying around or whatever, what, what have you. Right. And I, you know, am of the opinion that it was a, it was intentional. I think that, you know, these guys, um, you know, especially in the age of Trump, but let's be honest, let's be honest. The Republican party has a very, very, very despicable history when it comes to um, uh, dog whistle, right? So this isn't much of a, a, a shocker. I think that a lot of times Republicans talk to their, their voters and they talk to their base um, in, a, in a particular way in which they're not necessarily, it's not what they're saying, it's, it's how they're saying it and the, you know, connotations to what they mean, right? I mean, it, it goes back to the days of Reagan. It goes back to the days of Nixon, that the Republican Party, this is what, what it is, you know? And there have been, you know, strategists, Republican strategists, major Republican strategists that have come out in subsequent years and have been like, yeah, you know, when we're talking, when we're saying X, Y, and Z, this is who we're talking about. When we're talking about welfare queens and welfare kings, and this is who we're talking about. When we're talking about uh, a particular, you know, we're using a certain phrase, it's almost like a wink and a nod to our largely white, you know, suburban, rural to suburban type audience. And it's like a wink and a nod. And that, you know, we're not necessarily, we, we leave just enough plausibility. You know, we're not talking about anybody in particular, right? We're not talking about, you know, black people. We didn't say that. We did not talk about Muslims. We're not talking about these people. But, you know, they use certain language that would lead you to believe that, okay, it's... It, it, you're, you're talking about us. It, it's very, it's veiled, but it's not as veiled as, you know, you think it's being as, as veiled, you know? So he says this, and again, I, like I said, I'm of the opinion, I believe that he said this intentionally. I believe he said this uh, to wink and nod at his base and to, you know, he's, he's on, he's, basically trying to get that same uh, 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 vote, you know, and, and, and again, I think it, it's refreshingly honest. I think it's refreshingly honest in the sense that we, we don't want or we don't care about getting black votes. I don't care about getting, you know, Hispanic votes. I don't care about getting, I really don't care. I care the main people that I want to reach, the main people that I care about are white, 
rural to like middle class whites. That's who I care about. That's who I want to get to vote for me. And anybody else, I don't care. I wish the Democrats would do that more. <laughs> you know, it's like the Democrats, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, to, to kind of go off into the weeds a little bit. My, one of my countless, countless issues I have with the Democrats is the fact that they constantly are trying to go after people and worry and spend their energy on people that, were, uh, that are not going to vote for you regardless. You know, they, they make these conciliatory type gestures to try to get more people on their side that aren't going to vote for you anyway. Instead of, you know, worrying about, you know, passing policy and worrying about your democratic base, worrying about young people, you know, uh, uh, trying to talk to, to um, you know, uh, more, I guess, younger whites who tend to vote democratic, you know, more city wide people, right? Talking to people of color and, you know, okay, this is, this is what I advocate for policy wise. And again, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to touch on this later. Um, I don't think marching a black person out there or using Ebonics or, you know, doing a dab on stage or carrying hot sauce in your bag, that does nothing for the people that, you know, your, your quote unquote base. You know, all that is, is just your pandering, right? That, that, that's not what I mean. I mean, as far as, okay, this is, this is the policies we're going to look out, you know, where we understand that this is what goes on. We understand that, you know, uh, disproportionate, you know, the, this type of unconstitutional policing takes place disproportionately in black and brown neighborhoods. So if you will vote me into power, you know, it's like I can acknowledge that I'm going to fight for, you know, a reconciliation and, you know, to make sure that police officers are able to do their job and that we're able to, um, you know, um, um, you know, catch the bad people and and, you know, make sure that, you know, communities are safe. But at the same time, we're going to make sure that the citizens have their Fourth Amendment rights and are, um, you know, not. Uh, um, you know, stopped unconstitutionally and frisked unconstitutionally and so forth, right? So I think that it's certainly refreshing from a, a, a standpoint that, now again, I, I vastly disagree, but it's refreshing from a standpoint that this is who I am, this is who I cater to, take it or fucking leave it. And I, I just love that. I love that about uh, these um, politicians or excuse me, the, the, some of these Republican politicians, because at the very least, these Trump style Republican politicians, you know where they stand. And I, I can I can respect that. I disagree. I think you're a moron and I can, you know, take down all of your points with data. But as far as like, don't don't hide under a smile and a suit and cliches and, you know, if you're not, if you don't mean it and, you know, this is what you are and this is what you are pandering to, then be that, do that, right? So afterwards, after this, this situation happened, of course, you know, the mainstream media jumped on it and it became, you know, a topic 
for a little while. You know, I don't really see it much going on now, but for a couple days, it was, you know, like, holy crap, like this, uh, you know, uh, supposed, you know, this congressman and, and um, you know, potential future governor just went over there and referred to his, the first black, potential black governor of, of Florida, just referred to him and, you know, like, oh, monkeying around using terminology that, let's be honest, it is, has a historical context. It does. It has a, a, a historical context that, you know, black people were generally referred to as monkeys, apes, baboons, not only within the, the lexicon of like individuals, but within the lexicon of like, you know, you go back to old newspapers. They were referring to these people as monkeys. Referring to black people as apes. You know, prominent politicians, prominent individuals within society. This is what how blacks were generally referred to as. And this is the South. Don't let don't get it confused. Florida is the South. So, you know, there's a special um, connotation to that term types of terminology. And, you know, someone like DeSantis, who I don't think, you know, you hear him speak and he doesn't seem like the sharpest knife in the draw, but nonetheless, he's smart enough to know the, the, the history and the context of that and why that's a bad idea. Why that's, that's not, you know, so much as incidental and why, you know, it's like, it's just such a weird phrase and it just came out of left field. And nobody said anything when you were bashing him saying he's not a good leader and he's not a, a, you know, that would have been perfectly okay because that's, you know, your opponent, whatever, you know, uh, go ahead and vote, you know, let's vote in the, 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 you know, the election for governor in Florida. If you're down in Florida, go vote, whatever. But then you start using phrases like that out of the, out of the blue. It just didn't fit. Like it just, it's, it's weird terminology to use just out of the blue. Right. So I just think that it certainly, you know, of course, anytime someone says something, there's always going to be apologists, according to uh, white people or certain white folks. Anybody that anybody says, especially a white person, oh, that's not racist. Nothing's racist. Nothing's ever sexist. You know, like when it comes to men. Right. Like I remember, um, you know, recently, I mean, I, I guess it just happened, but the. Uh, Aretha Franklin, uh, the, uh, funeral. And you had all of these people that came and it was a big star studded event and it was hours long and you had people singing her songs. And I remember seeing Ariana Grande, uh, up there and she's singing. And afterwards she was done singing one of the pastors who was, uh, you know, kind of moderating, I guess the funeral held her a little too close. And, you know, it looked like from, you know, certain pictures and angles that his hand was like on the side of her breast, like he was trying to cop a, a little feel. Right. And you had again, it's just it's very interesting. You had a lot of men, black men that were like, oh, that's bullshit. You know, oh, well, she's four foot eleven and he's taller. Like, where's his hand placement going to be? Oh, where you know, it's, it's oh, you know, the. 
this outrage, all it's a conspiracy to, to bring a black man down. And you had a lot of black women that were like, that's bullshit. I've had men touch me like that, that weren't my husband or my boyfriend or some guy I was intimate with, or, you know, this like, there's no reason why he should have touched her like that. And there's, I've had men touch me like that. I'm on, I'm on her side, right? It's the same sort of thing. So we see this, we see this among groups and it's very fascinating to see. But I look at the, um, the situation and I, you know, I, I got to thinking about it a little bit and, you know, some of the backlash that I got or uh, that I saw, I should say about, you know, this, uh, oh, you know, this, this, the, the left and social justice warriors and, and, oh, identity politics and, and that's the reason why Republicans and the right-wingers, that's why they win elections and they're more practical. And I, I say this, right? When it comes to race, when it comes to politics. And again, it, it, there's a certain level of complexity and it, it's certainly, I'm going to do my best to try to be as careful with my words and to try to be as nuanced as I possibly can with explaining this um, situation. So when identity politics, the idea that, you know, you, you sort of relate to a particular group and you, you look at the prism of politics through that identity group. So you're not looking at it from, you know, like a partic particular policy from a, um, you know, okay, this is what, you know, this is the, the policy in, in a vacuum. You're looking at policy through the prism of, well, you know, I'm a black man, so this is what, you know, this is my identity and this is how I should, um, you know, perceive this particular um, piece of legislation. Like, you know, you did see this a lot. And I wholly disagreed where you had people that were, um, you know, supportive people in the black community that supported Barack Obama, for example, just because he was black or didn't want to criticize him because he was black and excuse certain things that he did that was no different than George W. Bush that you were critical of. And excused it because, well, he's black and, you know, it's, it's racism and, the, the, you know, the, the Congress won't let him pass anything. And he's, you know, you kind of let him off the hook, you know, when it comes to criticism, right? Like when, when you bring up certain things, then it's like you're being an Uncle Tom and, oh, you know, you're, you're, you're um, you know, why are you disrespecting our president? And I'm just sitting there like. At the end of the day, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. I understand the optics of it, having somebody of color who's finally a president in a country that has a terrible track record when it comes to race and, and ethnic relations. But I, I, I can't, you know, I, I morally, I can't overlook, okay, this is wonderful historically, but then you get into office and you get us into more confrontations overseas. You know, you continue the uh, the drone strike programs and you increase the drone strike programs from George W. Bush. 
You know, you're not, you, you don't close Guantanamo Bay. You keep Guantanamo Bay open. All of these, these situations, I, I can be critical. Now, does the blame fall in, in different, you know, ball courts? Is it just strictly on him? No. There are a lot of many different factors in the complexities of government and bureaucracy, and I'm not saying that at all. But this happened under his watch, and you can't sit there and ignore that simply because out of obligation, you're a black man or you're a black woman, and it's just like we can't criticize this guy because there are some racists, mainly these white, like right wingers, that are like, oh, he's a Muslim Brotherhood Kenyan. Yeah, that's bullshit, like prejudice, you know, all that birther movement shit. All of that is prejudice, uh, racist garbage with no validity to it. No, you know, but that doesn't mean that all criticism, he's immune from criticism and that all criticism is disqualified because you have some idiots on the right who think that that's some sort of like legitimate, um, you know, concern or criticism. Oh, he wore a tan suit. Oh, he eats pizza with a, with a knife and fork. It's all a scam. You know, it's, it's, it's not legitimate criticism. But if you want to criticize that, oh, well, you know, he, you know, increased, uh, you know, the NSA spying capacity, you know, so now it's like the Patriot Act, it, it's, it, gets created under Bush, and now, you know, you fast forward under Barack Obama, this so-called liberal beacon of hope, he comes in, and he's, he's continue, continuing a lot of the um, Republican-style, uh, 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 you know, legislation, bailing out the banks instead of, like, prosecuting these people, you know, giving them bailout money for them to turn around and give themselves raises for crashing, for contributing to crashing the economy by their unscrupulous business practices. Right? So I think when you look at identity politics through the prism of that, I agree. I agree. That's, that's damaging. That's damaging. And that, that has no place, I think, uh, you know, in the, in the world of politics, it has no place. Because fact of the matter is, I don't give a shit if, you know, somebody is a woman. I don't care if they're, if they could do the job, they could do the job. I'm more concerned about policy, you know? So I, I fully, I fully agree with that. I fully agree with that. And I, and I fully agree when, you know, identity politics being a problem when it comes to, uh, you know, using platitudes and using cliches and not getting anything passed, you know, not advocating for, for policies that help these people. So instead of like advocating for universal health care, which would certainly, it would help all Americans, but it would certainly help black Americans and Hispanics. And it would certainly help these groups, um, you know, uh, you know, a, a strong public education. You know, social programs. These are things that help. You know, infrastructure. You know, um, um, you know, improvements. These are all things that uh, help communities of color and, and disenfranchised communities. 
But, you know, the Democrats, a lot of the times, these, these mainstream uh, corporate Democrats, they don't want to do that. So instead, they have at the DNC, they'll bring on a, uh, an illegal immigrant, you know, a, 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 um, the daughter of an illegal immigrant. Or they'll bring on a, a, a woman in a turban or in a, um, in a hijab. Or they'll bring a woman on stage or a man on stage who is, um, you know, Muslim. Or they'll bring a black man on stage who got their ass beat by the police. But, that you know, all of that is just surface level garbage. All you're doing is just giving the optics and the illusions no different than when Trump was doing his whole thing when he first got into office and bringing in, you know, Kanye came to visit him and Steve Harvey came to visit him and, you know, uh, you know, oh, we're going to work on, you know, communities and how to reform this and how to reform that. And we're going to have a meeting. And it's like, it's no different. It's, it's optics, you know, because he's not getting individuals who are experts in that field to help, help him craft policy. He's getting celebrities, black celebrities, and it's used as a photo op. How is that any different? If you're not advocating for policies to help people and you're not in favor of a universal health care system, you're not in favor of a living wage, you're not in favor of social programs over, you know, social programs in general, uh, you're not in favor of, you know, making working conditions better for people, you know, um, you know, paid time off, uh, you know, if you're, you know, uh, maternity leave. If you're not like advocating for policies that will certainly help people of color, will help the country in general, but you know, you feel as though, well, I'm going to bring LeBron James to one of my rallies, or I'm going to, and use these, this fancy colorful language of a melting pot and we're all one big family and it's garbage. It means nothing. It's not tangible. And it's a half-assed job for you know you to gain votes and then you get into power and you don't do anything you don't do anything you do the same republican policies the same you know cutting taxes for the rich the same wall street bailouts the same deregulation of wall street the same you know taking corporate money the same taking you know pharmaceutical money and, and the, it just goes on and on and on. Because you didn't, you never, hey, I, I never said that. I never said I was advocating for that. I never, I just used cliches. I just said, said, you know, flowery language and used platitudes to try to appeal to you because it makes, it makes you feel good, right? Like I'm talking to you, I'm with you. I'm using Ebonics, I'm cool. I got hot sauce in my bag. Oh, you know, Beyonce loves me. Beyonce shouted me out in a song. Who gives a shit? Who cares? Policy. What are you advocating for? Now, I can't blame the voters if you advocate for something and then you get into office and you don't push for it. I can't blame the voters. But if you know, you're not even going that first step in advocating for it. So, you know, what are we to believe? That you're going to get into office and, you know, and pull a 180. Right. So it's just I just find it very I, I find it very disgusting. And that's what I what I hate. You know, that's the dark side of so-called uh, race 
in politics and um it, it's you know when it comes to identity politics quote unquote you know uh, i you know you hear people on the left who make these criticisms it's usually coming out of that out of that prism out of that that headspace it's not that they don't you know it's not that they don't deny um that racism is a thing it's not like they're trying to deflect and ob- obfuscate it's not like they're trying to uh you know deflect it's really not it's just the fact that they are um you know simply bringing to attention a real live problem in the democratic party and a real live party was the problem with some of these politicians where they feel that we don't have to push for the policy we can push for the same corporate policies as long as it give we give the optics and the appearance that we're you know progressive and i think that's complete bullshit and it's nonsense and i think the american people in general are too savvy they you know they're getting too savvy and it didn't work it didn't work for hillary clinton i'll tell you that much you know and it goes to show you that you know barack obama was a lot of him being voted in was you know especially in 20 2008 had a lot to do with the fact that not only is he a black guy but he's also a guy who is running on a very progressive platform ending the wars overseas you know hope and change right making sure that you know guantanamo bay is is closed um you know advocating for for social programs you know all of these these um situations are you know he ran a very progressive especially in 2008 a very progressive platform you know you fast forward a, a you know two years later three years later and he's more or less a neoliberal he's like a, a moderate more or less and if anything like a a little bit to the left of like mccain he's he's not that much diametrically opposed to mccain right so in in that regard i think that that is that's problematic and unfortunately i see some black folks and people of color in general that that fall into that trap you know you had some women for example that fell into that trap when it came to hillary clinton you know where you you would hear them speak i remember having a conversation um with one of my classmates about it and you know like this was a 20 this was like early 2016 so this was like before the election and it was or no it was like the summer of 2016 um so she you know um, she was a hillary clinton supporter big time and she was like i'm with her and i'm and i remember us talking about politics coming up and she's like she got kind of defensive a little bit like why don't you want to vote and i think that it was she was kind of i don't want to say insinuating i don't want to put words into her mouth that oh because you're a man that you know it's like of course you wouldn't be supporting hillary it became this this weird um you know this weird uh you know opposition you know in her in her posturing once i told her that i was not a, a hillary clinton supporter and i told her i said i laid it all out i said i i think she's very hawkish I, i'm i'm anti-war 
you know, unfortunately, Trump gets, he runs on an anti-war platform to a certain extent. I mean, he waffled on the campaign trail, but he goes in and he's not anti-war at all. But, you know, I just didn't like her um, posturing, you know, like uh, she's a war hawk and her history tells you that. You know, I, I just didn't like the fact that, you know, she's giving speeches for, you know, private speeches, $250,000 speeches for Wall Street insiders. She just was, was just a corporate insider. And I think, you know, people were just tired of the status quo and wanted something different, something, you know, that will get us out of, you know, the, the, how politics have been in the last 30, 40 years, right? So I'm kind of outlying it and, she, you know, she kind of her face relaxed a little bit, but it just goes to show you this, this defensiveness and this um, like, oh, you know, you're, you're just a, a Bernie bro, right? It's just complete garbage. When Hillary Clinton is, you know, very, you know, using the I'm a female angle and not advocating for policies or, you know, pushing for policies that would enhance women or enhance, you know, people's lives in general, doing the same old standard, you know, if anything, a little bit more to the right of Barack Obama, but then sitting up there and, and, and you know, I'm with her and, you know, don't you want to make history voting for the voting in the first female president? It's just like, man, that really pissed me off. You know, it just it, it's like, do, do these people really think that we're a bunch of freaking idiots? You know, God, I hope not, because obviously, they, you know, they're, they're certainly treating us like a bunch of idiots. They have to know that the American people are much smarter than that, do that, don't they? And apparently they didn't because that was their strategy. And it, a lot of women, a lot of women fell for it. You know, and it's like, that's not to say that there isn't sexism, that she didn't experience sexism, that some of the backlash wasn't sexist. But that doesn't mean that, you know, because you're, you're a Bernie supporter, oh, you're Bernie bro. It's, it's garbage. It's garbage. You know, but it just goes to show you that it, you know, it, it can be used and weaponized, unfortunately. Race, identity, you know, uh, uh, sexuality, gender can be weaponized and used, unfortunately, at the expense of the American people. And that's the problem that I have. Right. So. That's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, and I spoke about this a little earlier, is the fact that you have right, right wingers who are, um, who use words like identity politics or social justice warrior to, as a disparaging, disparaging remarks, it's used as a way to shut down dialogue. And it's a way to, um, you know, use it's, it's like race baiting right they use terminology to try to shut conversation down so i would argue that the use of identity politics uh, and the, the used use of it as a pejorative is mainly used on the right 
So I outlined, you know, the way people use it on the left is the way I outlined it earlier. And, you know, those are legitimate criticisms. However, when right wingers use it, a lot of the times I see it's like, well, you know, you, you black people shouldn't advocate. You guys shouldn't Black Lives Matter and you guys shouldn't come together and advocate for uh, you know, policing or, you know, um, um, you know, policing reform because it's identity politics and it's bullshit and there's no problem and there's no issue and policing isn't bad and black on black crime. And it's just another, it's, it's just a way to ignore and they use it in a different context. You know, because again, like I said, left left wingers, they're, they're not using it in the context of there is no such thing as race. There is no such thing as racism or sexism or homophobia or, you know, Islamophobia or, uh, you know, uh, immigration backlash. It, they, when they're using it in context, they're using it to contextualize the fact of you know, politicians not doing what they are supposed to do and using the the mask of something or, you know, people not holding politicians accountable because they happen to be a woman or they happen to be gay or they happen to be black. And instead of getting people in the right positions who advocate the appropriate policies to go with the fact that, OK, this is wonderful. The country is changing and we're getting more people of color in power and that that's wonderful. Because the the demographics are changing. But, you know, again, when right wingers use it, it's used in a different, different comment. It's used, I mean, excuse me, it's used in a different context. It's used as a, a you know, as a form of, of just like, it, it's very disparaging. Right? So... It's it's you have these these right wingers and I find it very interesting because you see this on the right. You know, oh, identity politics scoff. Meanwhile, there of course there's identity. Identity is a thing. Right. Identity is not only just the left thing and the blacks and everybody Hispanic and using these this terminology and and gay and queer and and LGBTQ and transgendered and. Okay, these are labels, but right wingers have labels. Right wingers have labels. What do you call the alt right? You know, these guys with the funny haircuts who are essentially Nazis, but have been rebranded and they're not as, you know, they're, they're the Richard Spencer types that have the same Nazi type ideology. But since Trump is in office and the country's Overton window is so far right wing, that these people are mainstream and these people aren't fringe anymore. You know, they, they, they are writers for Breitbart or they, you know, or they read Breitbart, the Breitbart crowd. They're no longer fringe. They are in the mainstream. So that, that's a, that's a identity. Is it not? You know, as soon as someone does something, And it's a, you know, perceived, you know, quote unquote, left, um, a quote unquote, left position. It becomes, you know, us against them. 
and it becomes, you know, the, the left versus the right. How is that any different? Isn't that identity? Isn't that Christianity? Oh, you know, they, 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 uh, Starbucks, they won't use, you know, they won't put happy Merry Christmas on their Christmas cups. They put happy holidays and they say these stores say happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. It's, it's a war on, it's a war on Christianity. It's a war on Christmas, which is an extension of a war on Christians. Meanwhile, the vast majority of the country is Christians. So, you know, you have you have these these labels, you know, that go into, you know, both sides. It's not simply just a right wing or excuse me, a left wing, um, you know, uh, not not even problem, but situation. I don't think identity in itself is inherently bad. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with identity. For example, being a Native American woman and being proud to be a Native American woman or to be proud of being, you know, a an Irish, you know, uh, Irish American man who is transgender or whatever, you know, it's just, it, identity doesn't really offend me too much. You know, now it offends, it offends me in the sense that, you know, sometimes people use identity to, you know, put themselves above other people. But if you're just using it just in the, the innocent context of like, this is what I am and this is what I'm proud to, I'm proud to be, I have no problem with that. You know, some people, they, they don't let these things define them too much. They just, I'm a person and I just kind of go about my day. But at the same time, they know that even though you may, that may not be like the, the, the end all be all when it comes to you as a person, your race, your gender, your age, your, that doesn't mean that that's not how the world sees you because we see things. And this is from a sociological perspective. We see things and that's the first thing we, we look at. The first thing when we are looking at a person is we're looking at what's their, what's their race, what's their ethnicity. You know, you have sometimes you have people, you know, people that aren't even really thinking, uh, uh, you know, who aren't bigoted or anything like that, who will look at a situation and will look at it and be like, um, you know, I wonder what ethnicity this person is. This person looks you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Or like, well, I, I, this person, I'm noticing an accent from this person. I wonder where this person is from. Oh, you know, I'm noticing a blah, blah, blah. I wonder, you know, I, you know, it's like, okay, you know, this is a female or, you know, she's a man, uh, he's a male or, you know, he's middle age or, okay. He looks a little older than middle, middle age. He's an older man or he's a younger man, like maybe 25 to 30. You know, we, we constantly do that. You know, oh, I'm noticing like this, this girl, she has on it a bag, like a, like a sports bag. So she must be an athlete. She must, she must be coming, walking from the campus and walking to, you know, after practice to go get, you know, to the grocery store. We, this is what we do, you know, and that is not inherently bad. 
what makes it inherently bad is when we we take these things and we add a, a, a negative uh, you know spin to these these characteristics and then that's the problems that that happen to us right this this idea of like when I hear white people talk about colorblindness and I'm like that's bullshit colorblind my ass we see things that's just natural we see color and you know within the context of of, of a particular society that matters that matters. So, you know, uh, gender matters, the way certain people may view you, the way society as a whole views you. All of this, this matters. So, you know, people of color, we don't really have that, that obligation, most of us, you know, we don't have that option to even even if we wanted to just be like, well, all of that shit doesn't even matter. Even if we go about our day. And it's like, you know, OK, that's all of those characteristics are, are secondary. You're going to run into certain people and you're going to run into certain situations where that becomes number one, that becomes precedent. That because that sets the precedence. And that's just the way it goes. It's, it's very ignorant to say that, you know, that doesn't matter. And, you know, when, when, you know, when it comes to race and politics, race and politics are, uh, have, have always been intertwined within American history. And to sit there and to ignore it is just very, very disingenuous. And it's, you're, you're being intellectually dishonest. It, it's always been that way. You know, I mean, I remember people telling me, you know, hearing this on the uh, campaign trail in, in 2016. You know, when when Trump was was gaining steam and then he eventually won, I was told that, well, you know, he was people. It was mostly I mean, yeah, you had some people that were bigoted, but, you know, or, you know, they responded to his bigoted rhetoric, but the vast majority of it came down to economic anxiety. You even had some leftists that said that. And I'm just like, you know, like I remember um, this was around the time. Uh, one of the most well-respected people I watch on YouTube, YouTube com uh, political commentator, Kyle Kalinsky. Oh, well, a lot of it, most of it is just economic anxiety. You know, Hillary Clinton was a shill of the corporate shill and Donald Trump appealed to, you know, their more uh, economic, uh, you know, thoughts. And I'm just like, how naive is that? First of all, Donald Trump was a Democrat. That's one. There are pictures of him and Hillary Clinton and, and, and Bill Clinton all in the same room shaking hands, smiling. Donald Trump, and they have to know this, right? They have to know this. The vast majority of Trump country, the, the, the southern part of the country, the midwestern part of the country, they hate the coastal people. You, you hear the way these people talk? Oh, we're the heartland. What the fuck does that mean, the heartland? 
heartland of what? You're no more American than New Yorkers are or Californians. But because you live in Milwaukee in the middle of the in the middle of the sticks, you're you're considered that's real America. It's bullshit. They don't like they don't like people like that. If anything, these are the people that, you know, the, the highfalutin, you know, they look at people like that as the highfalutin, you know, uh, uh, northerners, you know, with their Ivy League education and their, you know, all the money. And they don't, they, you know, these, these are the rural people. They don't, historically, they don't like these, these types of people on the surface. If, if, if Donald Trump came out and was saying all of all of what he was saying economically, like it's bullshit. Your jobs were shipped overseas. The trade deals suck, blah, 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 coal jobs. And and, you know, didn't say any of like the, that, you know, dog whistle type rhetoric on the campaign trail about utter complete shutdown of, of Muslims coming into the country and and you know these illegal immigrants coming from Mexico and if, if his rhetoric wasn't anything like that we're gonna we're gonna send increased police in, in the inner cities and Chicago is a hellhole in the inner cities and if he didn't if he didn't use any of this this rhetoric and it was just strictly economic I you know correct me if I'm wrong I don't think he would have won. I don't think he would have won. You know, I I know that. Because this was, you know, looking back historically, this is the, the split and the schism in the Republican Party 30 years ago. This was the schism where, you know, George Bush, um, George H. Bush, George W. Bush's father was, you know, an old school New York-ish, like a, um, not a New, I mean, he's not from New York, from, you know, but a, a um, old school elitist Republican platform, you know, where he, he may be conservative on when it comes to economic issues, but he's, he's pretty moderate when it comes to issues. And he was voted in once. And, you know, he, the, it totally screwed the Republican Party up to the point now where, you know, as subsequent Republicans locally and on the uh, the, the campaign trail uh, on, the, excuse me, on the federal level have moved further to the right. One could argue that that was the the the, the stepping stone. To the. Uh, the Republican Party moving further to the right to where we're not only, you know, conservative fiscally, I put it in air quotes, but, you know, we're, we're conservative uh, socially. And you start to see that even though uh, uh, Reagan ran sort of like that, but even Reagan wasn't like all of that in certain respects. Reagan advocated for amnesty when it came to immigration. He, you didn't see, you didn't hear, and this is 1980, you know, where things were a lot more racist, right? You, in theory, you would think that, right? But you fast forward, and now the, the Republican position, the default Republican position, not just Trump, you know, the, the Trump wing, 
of the Republicans is, you know, we, we round them up and we bring them back. We round them up. We ice. We get ice involved. We catch them and we, we, we punish them. And then you have the, the Trump wing, the more extreme wing. We're not only going to bring, put them back. We're going we're gonna to find them. We're going to round them up. We're going to, you know, catch them on the border. We're going to separate the kids. We're going to take the kids and we're going to separate the kids from the parents. As, as just as a, as a fuck, as a F you. And I sit there and I'm like, that goes to show you that it, it's much more complicated than just economic woes. There is a, a you know, it, and, and again, there's, there's complexity when, when voting for people or people in general, there's complexity. But I hear these people talk way too much for me to believe that, oh, well, it's just it's just economic. It's just economic. When this guy, for all intents and purposes. Is everything that these Southerners and these these Midwesterners and these people in these rural counties and don't like this highfalutin billionaire real estate tycoon. TV star who, uh, you know, is uh, uh, whatchamacallit, a northerner, a New Yorker. He's from Queens. Why were these people in Mississippi and Alabama drawn to him? Why? It was the, 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 the social aspect. It was the idea of like, we like the way things were in the past. And that goes with social issues. We like that. And we like this guy because we feel we're being persecuted. It was a certain form of victimology. Which is ironic because they love to, you know, these right wingers love to call, you know, oh, the Democrats and victimology and black people and they want to play the victim. But yet all these white people that blow, oh, well, I can't say this anymore and I can't say that and I can't speak my mind and I can't. Well, if, if you're sitting there and you're you're saying you're speaking shit and someone challenges you on it. And you're like, you know, well, you know, I, I just don't think gays should be uh, allowed to get married. And someone challenges you on it and says, well, I, you know, explain your position. And you're like, well, God and Jesus and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, well, this is a secular country. Law, I should say, is a secular separation of church and state. There is no legal reason why an 18, anyone, uh, an illegal adult male can't marry another legal adult male. You know, that's not how the government is run. Just because the majority of the country is Christian doesn't mean that the, and, you know, that the government runs should be running as a Christian theocracy because that's no different than what most of what um, uh, Saudi Arabia has, except it's a Muslim theocracy. Right. So what the what the hell? Oh, you you know, it's a war on Christians. It's a war on this. It's a. You know, so there's a certain level of victimology, absolutely. But, you know, to turn a blind eye, I was very disappointed. And you had people that just straight up gaslighted you. It's like, I've been a black person in this country 
for 28 years. And I know for a fact that I know, I know, you know, dog whistle when I hear dog whistle. And, you know, these guys, they're not speaking in dog whistle anymore. They're speaking in bullhorn. They're speaking. It's so thinly veiled. But, you know, again, these are the people that are that are coming, you know, that that will, you know, advocate because they agree with these people. So they'll they'll they'll, um, you know, they'll um, defend them to the death. Oh, you know, he's not he doesn't mean, you know, he does. He's not talking about that. He's talking about illegal immigration and that's breaking the law and that's wrong. And that's. And, and just completely, um, you know, neglect or, or not, uh, you know, pay attention to the fact that, you know, this guy is talking about, you know, Mexicans, they're coming across the border, they're pouring across the border, you know, they're, they're, uh, uh, they're, uh, whatchamacallit, they're, you know, bringing, they're, they're sending their rapists, they're, they're, uh, they're drug dealers, they're sending, you know, I would assume some are good people. You know, I mean, what the hell? You know, that's not thinly veiled. That's not thinly veiled at all. You know, I mean, I I would love to believe some of these people. Again, I, again, I'm not saying that there isn't a, a, an economic component, but you listen to some of these people, and you have to believe that they're they're smart enough to know that that's not how things work. Oh, I'm going to bring your coal job back. What the hell does that mean? Bring your coal job back. You know, it's like, how, how, how is he going to bring a, a, a coal mine, open up a coal mine somewhere in West Virginia as the president? How? What power does he have to do that? Oh, I'm going to force, you know, this company to, to, you know, bring this job back. And I'm going to force these companies and GM to bring their jobs. And it's just like they're gone. They're gone. You know, and it's people like you, strict capitalists like you, that ruin these people. And then flip it and you blame the immigrants and you blame people of color. It's people like you that lobby the government to pass laws to make sure that you're allowed to take your businesses across overseas to make sure that you get cheap labor without any, um, um, you know, uh, labor, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, labor uh, uh, protections to build things that, you know, you, you get like, you know, 10 cents on a dollar that you jack up to like 400 bucks and you sell it here. That, that's capitalism. That's capitalism. But again, it's, you know, I always hear this, the oldest trick in the play, in the, in the playbook, you know, it's guys like that constantly, you know, guys like that constantly, you know, because at the end of the day, it's good business. Unfortunately, that's why you, that's why you need a government. That's why you need checks and balances. That's why, you know, when you hear these libertarians talk about, oh, the free market, dude, and, and oh, you know, they look at the market as just some, like, utopian, Jesus-level type of, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, savior, and it's like, 
that's if if I'm allowed to do that as a if I have a business and I'm allowed to do that. I, I ship my I'm shipping my jobs over. I'm not keeping my jobs here. What? That's not the name of the, the name of the game as a business owner. The name of the game of the of a, of a business owners to turn a profit, not to to be nice and give a single mother in 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 Kansas giving her a job. My my main priority is to make sure I make money for my shareholders, to make as much money as I can possibly make. So if I can ship my job to the Philippines and have a bunch of Filipinos make my shit for pay them one dollar an hour, or fifty cents an hour. And then I bring I bring the product back and I jack it up to 300, 400 bucks. That's good business. So, you know, again, you know, it, it's it's that component. But again, it, it's history doesn't doesn't tell me, you know, looking at the, the you know, the the way politics are. History doesn't tell me that guys like that are well received in Dixie country or in the, 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 the woods somewhere, in the sticks. Middle America, they call it. I call it, you know, I call it flyover, but no, nah, let me stop. But, you know, no, middle America, it, uh, whatchamacallit, these, these people are not viewed favorably. What made Donald Trump be viewed favorably? You know, economics surely helps, but, you know, you can't, you can't tell me that, the things that he had to say and the perception, you know, him coming out against and being vehemently against the, the national anthem protests and all of that is posturing. You know, people ask, like, why, why does why does Trump do this? Why is he mad tweeting at three o'clock in the morning? Why is he why does this matter to him? And it's like it matters to him because he's posturing to his base. He's posturing to his supporters because he knows his supporters are not on board. So he's posturing to his voters. He is winking and he's nodding to his voters. And that's the reason. So again, you can't tell me that, you know, he's, this is not calculated, that he's not doing this purposely because there is a contingency in this country that a big part of this country, a big part of the white population and a big part of the conservative population that are not, you know, they're, they, they understand like, holy shit, demographics are changing. You know, white people aren't having enough kids. You know, the, the, the birth rates are increasing in other, in other ethnic groups within the country. They understand that, holy crap, you know, the people who are immigrating here aren't from white countries. That we, you know, are losing, we're losing power. And that is, it threatens the power structure. It threatens the, the overall structure. So, you know, you have all of these white. It's very interesting. It's almost like a, a case study when it comes to the, you know, the, the, the self and the shadow self. Right. Where it's like. 
you talk to any of these white people and they talk about like when you say like white privilege that that triggers them and they're like oh well white privilege doesn't exist and i'm poor and i you know i know everyone's poor and they think it just you know since we're in a capitalist society they think of of, of white privilege in a monetary sense but it's almost as if they unconsciously know that there is a certain power to being white within the country because when you hear these people talk it's almost as if it's a zero sum game and they they talk with a sense of resentment about the changes within the country and the changes within you know the the demographic population the changes within pop culture the change they talk about these changes so you know you're nostalgizing and you're hearkening back to a time where you know it, you know during segregation or you know before that you know slavery and you you you're reminiscing about the good old times ignoring the fact that your fellow countrymen didn't live in you know if they lived in those times would be treated like fourth class citizens you nostalgize the past when it was an absolute complete white domination so, you know, you fast forward now and then, you know, you're losing a little bit of, you know, there are more people of color in power and more people of color who are coming up and more people of color who are being educated and more people of color who are earning wealth, still vastly below the white majority. But again, when you have, I've always heard this, when you have 100% and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you have 80%. You know, it, it feels like, man, I'm really losing. And you're not losing. You're still winning. You just have, you're winning by less. <laughs> you're not winning by, by 40 points. You're winning by 20 points. But if you're so used to winning by 40 points and now all of a sudden you're winning by 20 points, it's like, holy shit. And you feel threatened by that. There is a large contingency. That is, and it's not even going on, it, it, oh, in the age of Trump, it's been going on for festering the last decade, to 10 to 15 years, even before Obama. You know, this whole, it was just the culmination, you know, under Barack Obama with the Tea Party movement. You know, all, all that is, 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 you know, Trump is just an extension of the Tea Party movement. Now, he talks a big game, but again, it's, it's posturing, you know, because it's like, yeah, you know, you tell these, these libs, you know, a thing or two about themselves. It's really just a way to give a middle finger to the people that you don't like or you don't think they like or, you know, that you don't think you like. That's all. That's all that is. So. You know, I would argue that race played a, a vast, a big majority. You know, it's like he took a lot of these, these, um, you know, these, these, uh, what you call it, out of the playbook. A lot of these, um, these uh, policies, or you know, a lot of these, uh, the, uh, the way he positioned his campaign, out of the Southern strategy. <laughs> I mean, this, this is great. No secret. I'm trying to blanket on the name. 
Um, you know, he spoke about it. Uh, Lee Atwater spoke about it, you know, before he died. I think he died of cancer like 20 years ago or something. But he was a big time Republican um, uh, strategist. I think he worked with, with uh, Nixon and, you know, he was a big time influencer in when the parties flipped after the Civil Rights Act and like crafting the party into what we see today. And he admitted it. He admitted what we were trying to do. You know, it's like in the 50s, we could say nigger and, and not face any real backlash. By the 1960s, 1970s, we can't say that outright. We can't be overt. So we have to, we have to use terminology and we have to veil it and talk to other people who speak our language. So, you know, it's, it's like this hidden language that, we, you know, it's like a wink and a nod. It's almost as if I, I use the analogy. It's almost like, you know, in, in a lot of situations, you have like black folks that will um, be in a, in, a, in a place, let's say, with like all white folks or like, you know, two people of color. Right. Let's say or, you know, especially like, let's say, OK, two blacks. And. Without fail, every time I'm in, a, I'm in a situation like that, and it's almost like this unspoken etiquette, right? Where it's like, you're a black guy, I'm a black guy, we're in an all-white bar, you know, or we're in an all-white whatever, for us to sort of like, at least give like an acknowledgement, like a head nod, you know, like, you know, like, what's up? Or like, you know, what's up? The head nod, right? It, it's, it's almost like an unwritten uh, agreement, unwritten rule that, you know, oh, you didn't give the head nod? That's, that's, what, um, that's what it is. I, it's, it's similar to that, in my opinion. You know, where you have these, these uh, politicians that get up there and they're talking to a largely white rural base. The, 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 you know, these are the guys that, you know, would have been Southern Democrats 60, 70 years ago. It's no different. It's no different. You know, race plays a huge component in politics. A lot of our, our major, the, a lot of the ways we got here has to do with race. It's not, it's not just, oh, you know, and that's the thing that kills me about these people. They talk uh, about, oh, why can't we you know, have a conversation and everything goes back to race? And, because the, the, without understanding the historical context of things, you're never going to get the, the, um, the context of what's going on today. You know, I, I remember I've heard this from people, people, um, you know, with like Muslim sounding names being stopped sometimes, you know, through, through TSA, like you know, not just TSA when they're when they're um, about to board the plane. And you have like TSA agents that will that will pull people to the certain random people to the side to just like search them, you know, double check them again. Historical context, you're like, why is some people being searched? And other people not being searched. Right? And 
it has very much to do with 9-11. It has very much to do with 9-11. You know, I think it's, thin, it's thinly veiled. I think, you know, sometimes they'll just take a random, like, person with a no-name because they know that they can't discriminate legally. But nonetheless, you know, I, I've seen it with my own two eyes. Pulling someone with a Muslim name to the side to search them again. You know, because they have a Muslim first name and a Muslim last name. Make sure that they're not, they don't have any weapons. If you don't understand the context to that, you know, then you'll ne- you won't understand what's going on. You know, that's the thing. You know, when, when, when it comes to like politics, you have black people and white people, they use politics differently in the sense that black people are using, are using politics in the sense of from a, a historical context until now, white people just try to pretend shit doesn't happen, didn't happen, obfuscate and minimize. To, to preserve their idea of like this country being the, the, the best thing that has ever struck off of God's forehead. So it's a nice rationalization technique. Hence why you get textbooks that talk about, oh, slavery wasn't that bad. Chattel slavery in the South wasn't bad. It was, you know, it was over, it's overblown. I mean, they, they, you know, yeah, you know, they, they worked the field for free, but you know, they got food and they got clothes and it You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's what it is. This is the problem. You know, if you don't understand that, you know, the historical context to why, you know, there are so-called inner city poor black neighborhoods and how that, what redlining is, that's politics. That, that's a part of the political conversation. To ignore that is like, that's, that you're, you're, that's not, um, you're not taking the full scope of looking at the full scope of politics. If you're going to sit there and, you know, uh, look at like, oh, well, you know, uh, you know, unemployment or like, um, uh, wealth disparities between blacks and whites and not acknowledge things like the Homestead Act. And like overt policies, these were these are politics. You think black people were allowed to to um, take advantage of the Homestead Act, get free land from the government out west because you know why not? You know we just want we want to expand out west. You think black people were allowed to to um, you know take advantage of v, the the VA benefits? Or, you know, a lot of these, you know, FHA benefits. So, again, like, the, the, the idea, and this is, goes back to, you know, only 70, 80 years ago. We're not even talking about, oh, you know, 700, 800, 900 years ago. We're talking about, you know, 100 years ago, 50 years ago. So that's a lifetime. Politics and race go hand in hand like peanut butter and jelly in this country. You know, when the Chinese 
were, were banned from coming to the U.S. for 80 years. That, that's political. That was, that's literally legislation in politics. It wasn't until the 1960s that that, that ban was lifted. And then turned around after the civil rights movement or during the civil rights movement and had the audacity to talk about, well, you know, why can't you guys act more like these Chinese and these Japanese? And you see how, you know, they're the, the model minority. Had the audacity when, you know, for 80 years in this country, you weren't letting these people into the country. Because they're stealing good white man's jobs. They're stealing the railroad jobs out west. You know, without understanding race, you don't understand why drugs, the, the prohibition of drugs are a thing and why the prohibition of drugs and the, the um, amount of crackdown on certain areas were that way. That's, poli that's political. Whether you like it or not, that's political. So you can, you can be a right winger and you roll your eyes when someone brings up color. Or, or gender, or someone brings up, you know, uh, sexuality. But, you know, this is the thing. It's, it exists. You know, that really happened. So you could try to, like, dismiss it, but it really happened. Facts over feelings, right? You, you, to understand what is going on now, it, there's always a historical precedence to figure that out. You know, and it would be foolish to ignore. You know, you need to understand the context of, of what the hell is going on. You know, like you'll see these situations without fail. You know, you'll see this, this widespread story of an unarmed black man, a uh, boy getting killed by, the, by a, a police officer and, you know, people get pissed off and it gets national news and the cop isn't indicted and the cop's still a cop and the cop doesn't get fired and no accountability and oopsie daisy. And people get pissed. People get mad. People loot. They riot. They destroy shit. And without fail, you have white people that get on TV, mainly right wingers that get on TV and to... Why are they doing this? I, I, I don't understand. What, what, what would possess them? They're, they're criminals. Like, what are they doing? This thuggish behavior has no place in this society. People are pissed. People are mad. And if you don't have the historical context of why people are pissed and why people are mad, then there's no wonder you don't have a solution to, to fix the problem. You think just more policing, more police, more police, more police. You put more police on top of more police without understanding what is happening and, and where this anger and resentment comes from. That's politics. You know, that, that's, it's, it's very, very um, um, intertwined. Race, you know, identity and politics, gender, you know, without fail, you know, the, the complexities between gender and race, historically, where you have, you know, uh, I was looking at a story 
the the daughters of the Confederates, like the, I didn't even, I never even heard about them. Supposedly, there were the, the there was this group in the late eighteen hundreds, uh, out of the South, these white women, that you know essentially were one of the main driving forces in all of these Confederate iconography and statues that later, you know, populated all of the South and even parts of the North. Yeah, some Confederate Confederate style um, iconography up North. Go figure. I thought it was only, I thought it was Southern pride. What the hell is a, a, a you know, a, a Confederate iconography doing up in, in upstate New York? But that's besides the point. You know, they were a big driving force and, you know, keeping, uh, you know, Southern pride and the Southern identity alive because at this point, a lot of the Confederate uh, soldiers were dying off at that point. So they, they, it was their way to like cons- preserve, you know, Southern, Southern uh, pride and heritage. So you look at the complexity of that. Here we are. These are women in a time where they are not allowed to vote. You know, that they are, you know, second class citizens, but yet they're white women and they're they're advocating and they're, um, you know, holding up a symbol of, of racism, slavery and holding that up for something to be glorified. And don't tell me that that had nothing to do with with, you know. So being a sore loser and being pissed off that the blacks were freed. Right. So that's the complexity of it. But again, if you don't have that, that, that historical context, you wouldn't understand why it's important and why when, when a politician, a Trumpian style tea party type politician comes in and, and, you know, uses certain rhetoric that people kind of jump on it. You know, if you don't understand that or if you you just kind of bury your head in the sand, because I think some of these people understand it. Oh, that doesn't matter. What the hell does that mean? It doesn't matter. That's like me saying, oh, you know, 9-11 happened uh, uh, 16 or excuse me, 17 years ago, almost 17 years ago. 9-11 happened. It does. It doesn't matter. It was 17 years ago. It matters within the context. Not only is it would it be gross to say because it was a horrible situation. I don't care. You know, you don't think people 150 years from now are still going to be, you know, talking about 9-11 in America and, 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 you know, statues. And you don't think people 150 years, you think people in 150 years from now are going to be like, ah, you know, it was 150 years ago. Shit, you still have white people in Texas that remember the Alamo. We still have holidays that remember a Revolutionary War. And that was over 200 years ago. So, you know, there's absolutely going to be, you know, that's going to be remembered and, and, and memorialized for a long time, as it should. But in, in terms of the politics, it's like even 150 years from now, it, it, you can't ignore the, the impact to which, you know, this attack reverberated around not only the, the country, but the, the world. You know, what do you mean, who, who cares? It, or, oh, it happened 18 years ago. Well, it reverberated simply because, you know, that one attack, you know, led to 
the war on terror, the invasion of Iraq, the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, the rise of, of the Taliban, the rise of ISIS, the overthrow of, of um, Gaddafi in, in Libya, the Arab Spring, you know, Donald Trump, the way airports are now, NSA spying, you know, increased security, you know, the, the post, you know, terrorism error where everybody is afraid, like, holy shit, I, I can't even be in a public space. Is someone going to blow a bomb up? It is what it is. But if you don't understand, or you're looking at it, oh, well, you know, that's just a singular event, and just get over it, and then you're, you're not going to understand the context of, of the problem, and you're not going to be able to solve the problem, and you're not going to be able to, you know, get at and have a legitimate conversation. If you can't see the link between the black struggle in this country now and the poverty and, you know, and just equate it to inferiority, that they're just inferior to us, or to equate it simply to the fact that they are lazier than us, or to equate that to the fact that they are, um, you know, they're just, you know, their culture is inferior to ours, and not acknowledge the fact that race, uh, that, uh, that slavery played a huge component while a lot of white people were able to gain wealth, pe white people that were here in this country, you know, these wasp types that were able to gain wealth during this time, and blacks were essentially property. They weren't able to gain wealth. Acknowledging the fact that, okay, you know, the black American experience after that is not like it was peaches and candy. You had the black codes right after that. Then Jim Crow for 80 years, 90 years, almost 100 years. That we, you know, their blacks have essentially been, you know, enslaved in this country longer than they've been free. By far. So if you don't understand that context and you're just simply, oh, well, they're just lazy and they don't they don't know how it's rap music's fault and pull yourself up by your bootstrap. Then you're just a freaking moron. And that's politics. That's not simply just. Um, uh, simply just, uh, you know, ah, you know, that that's race and we, we can't well, we can, you know, kind of distance it or take it out or disqualify it from political conversation. You know, people were getting upset. People were upset about the, uh, the pipeline, you know, that, that, um, you know, was supposedly through a native American, uh, sacred, like, uh, land. I think it was like a burial ground. And you had people that were pissed off. And you had some people, you had some white folks that were like, why? And, and they went over their reasons like, oh, you know, it's stupid and this and that. And, it, you know, it's 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 the government and it's the land and blah, blah. And, and, you know, they went on and on and on and on. There's a benefit. And, you know, 
why are these people acting like this and social justice warriors? And it's like, if you don't understand the historical context, because it didn't happen to you, then, you know, you're, you're just lazy and disqualified from the conversation. People get outraged because it's like, we've done enough to these people. Genocide. These people are gone. You could try to minimize, oh, well, a lot of them, they died of disease or they killed themselves off. And there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, these people, all tents of purposes were alive. And when Europeans got here within 100 years, they were pretty much all dead. Around the continent. You know, and the, the trail of tears and, you know, this, his, this country has a terrible history with the way they treat Native Americans. And it's not even going back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. This goes back 100 years, 80 years, 90 years, 105 years. It doesn't go back that long. So when people get pissed off and they're like, you leave these people alone, we, you've done enough, leave them alone, you know, it, that matters. You know? You know, again, the dog whistle, the Southern strategy is a thing. You know, and then they pretend it's not a thing. Oh, you know, Donald Trump isn't racist. He's not, he's not bigoted. He's not, you know, these, these, you know, these types of, you know, uh, uh, political speeches. And there's no connotation and double entendre. Give me a break. Give me a break. Of course, there's double entendre when he's speaking to his largely white audience. Of course, there is. Without a doubt. You know, no, I mean, granted, people use hyperbole. Oh, this is unprecedented. I'm like, not if you understand history. No different than Ronald Reagan. Reagan was the same way. His policy, just because he, you know, he's the old charming guy doesn't mean that he, you know, didn't use a lot of those dog whistle politics and, and, oh, you know, um, the, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, the, you know, welfare queens and, and, you know, going to the store to, you know, to, you know, in their Cadillac and to pick their welfare check up to go buy lobsters. And, and, you know, he was one of the main ones that fed into that propaganda. You know, which which ultimately moved the Republican, kept, you know, continued to move the Republican Party further to the right. There may be a, 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 a racial component to why we don't have a lot of these these uh, social programs, because think about it. We were well on our way after FDR. We were well on our way in the wake of the, the Great Depression. We didn't view poor people that way in this country. We didn't view, you know, oh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And we, we looked at poor people generally as like, man, that's messed up. Out of the Great Depression. They garnered sympathy. Right? No different than the, than the, the opiate epidemic now. Before, when it was black people in the 70s with the heroin, heroin crisis, in the 80s with the crack epidemic crisis, the crack, cocaine epidemic crisis, it's, oh, well, we're, we're going to make sure we're going to lock these people the hell up. It's illegal. You can't use these drugs. It's illegal. We're going to use, we're going to not only use, um, Repub we're going to use uh, 
powdered cocaine. We're going to take that. We're, we're even though um, chem, uh, pharmacologically it's the same drug. We're going to take that and we're going to we're going to quadruple. We're, we're going to 15, 20 times. We're going to give the sentence 15 to 20 times higher for crack cocaine um, uh, usage or, you know, um, for having crack cocaine compared to cocaine. Right. Powdered cocaine. Right. No different than that. Then, you know, then the, the idea of, of people within the country, poverty being a uh, big time, uh, you know, feeling sorry for for people because of the idea of poverty or the people that you that, you know, within the, the context of of. Uh, of, you know, or the, the American consciousness of what poverty was, it was, you know, the, the white family in Kansas. It wasn't, they were in the dust barons that were hit hard by the Great Depression. You know, we were well on our way. Canada's had universal health care in the UK for decades, for decades. Yet we still in this country argue about, oh, well, it's socialism. It's too far to left and we can't afford it. And this is horrible and this is extreme. Canada's had this for decades. UK, France, modern countries, better health outcomes, had, these, had it for years, right? You fast forward to the 1960s, 1970s, and you know the people who are receiving government assistance, the people who need help, the people who are poor, now all of a sudden it's, it's black people that are on the cover. It's black people that are, that are on the consciousness. It becomes black people. Oh, you know how those people are. They're lazy. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, that, that's when the rhetoric changes. Fast forward to the 1980s, forget about it. You know? All that sympathy for poor people went down the drain. Now it's just a moral defect. And, you know, these people are lazy and these people are, are you know, they're ill-equipped. You know, and these people are, all they're doing is they're, they're idiots and they're just spending their money on, on, on steaks and lobster. And, and, you know, they're undeserving. They're undesirable. All they're going to use it on is drugs. You know, it's the vast majority of them. They're using, uh, you know, good Americans, good, hardworking Americans. They're using our money, our tax dollars. And before you know it, it's over. To the point now where this is the most, this country is the most right-wing country. And it's been like this the last 30 years. The most right-wing country out of all of the modern nations. Only country, only modern nation where it's even... Uh, a political discussion whether we need government programs or whether we don't need government programs. That's an actual discussion. Even right-wingers in a lot of these places don't, that's not even a discussion. Healthcare, are you kidding me? You don't, you don't hear like prominent right-wingers uh, in Canada talking about, oh, well, I believe in a free market system and I believe in, you know, it's like, it's just ridiculous. But a lot of that, if you don't understand the racial component to that, you're thinking it's just strictly independent of that. It's the racial component to, to all of this, I believe. 
You know, it's just so coincidental. You know, all of a sudden now we're, we're staunch when it comes, and it's mainly white people, that they're super conservative when it comes to government programs. Government programs that they use. Often. So, you look at it, and it's it's what it is. You know, it is very important in politics that this this idea and this notion of race. And I I wish it wasn't the case. You know, but it's like if it's so interwoven within the framework of the country and the fabric of the country, it's dishonest to turn around. And because there's no more slavery and women can vote and that we don't feel the reverberations of these of, of this history and that we don't um, that we don't suffer the consequences to what what these particular policies had on people. And it wasn't just strictly out. Of, it wasn't conservative, liberal. It was white and black. It was man and woman. It was straight and, and gay. You know, it's along those parameters. So I would argue that before it was the Republican and Democrat and progressive versus liberal, it was white versus black. <laughs> you know, and white versus black, I used black metaphorically. And it's not just like racially people of African descent. I use black as Hispanic. I use black as, you know, black because black is just the meta metaphor. You know? as is white is white is, is a contextual, it's a metaphor, you know, the, the cycle, the, the way, the, whatchamacallit, the, uh, the politics of whiteness and not just simply being of European descent. So I, you know, I, I, you know, to, to kind of wrap things up, my ideas and my viewpoint just from this exchange you know, that I saw and how, you know, the, the Andrew Gillum situation and the De Ron DeSantis situation and the way people responded and, you know, what uh, identity and politics means in, 20, in 2018, I think it means a lot. I think it's, it becomes detrimental when it's used in, in case in, you know, in, uh, instead of good policy, instead of policy that will work for the American people, it's problematic. But when it's used, you know, in the sense to contextualize the world that in which we live in, when it's used to, you know, to give an idea as far as, OK, how can we, uh, you know, um, uh, make a solution to the problem? And if we if we can't, you know, acknowledge that, OK, there's nothing wrong with with identity because identity has been a part of the lexicon of the United States and what you know, people get and what people don't get and what, how, how that can, you know, how that comes about. That it's very important. It's very important. So it's, it's one of those things, you know, it's one of those things. It is always, you know, going to be around. And I, I don't see it going anywhere, going uh, away anytime soon, simply because of the attitudes of some individuals who are unwilling to examine the problem intellectually, or excuse me, examine the history intellectually, 
without being um, without getting defensive and finding a solution to these particular problems.